Amen. He loves us the same. You know why he loves you the same? Because he's the same. That's why. You don't have to worry about the consistency of his love when you and I are not consistent. He remains faithful. Turn to Luke chapter 10, if you would. Luke 10. Forgive me as I set up here. We're multiple things happening on the platform this morning. All good things. Luke chapter 10. We're continuing in our series, No Ordinary Man. If you're just joining with us today and you're not usually here, I know we have a lot of family in this weekend for because of the fundraiser and also for the baptisms today, and we're so grateful you're here with us. We are doing our best to go through the Gospels chronologically, and that is a challenge sometime. Uh, more and more, the more I study the Gospels, the more I realize the challenge of that, and that it's, it's difficult sometimes to tell exactly when these happened. When you, when you hear messages here and there on a passage, you don't realize um, how all four Gospels, uh, actually very seldom all four, but at least three normally, deal with things and put them in all a little bit of a different light. And some of them, sometimes it, it's hard to tell when this happened exactly. But we're, I think we're getting pretty close. We're getting them all in the general time frame. And, and that's the way this one is today. We're in the general time frame uh, of when this happened. And so we'll kind of continue in that way. If, if you think this happened a little bit different time, hey, that's great. Um, take that up with the Lord one day in heaven. But the, the truth remains the same, okay? And we're in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, I, I uh, went back and forth with titles this morning as I learn how to be a better preacher of the gospel. This is what I came up with. How to succeed in witnessing. Could be a little bit of a controversial topic on whose idea of success we're talking about. But this morning, we're going to look at the Lord's idea of success. Uh, churches I grew up in, maybe some the same that you grew up in, it's not uncommon to have um, programs or methods that people use to lead somebody to the Lord. I know in church I grew up with, I was very familiar with the Romans Road, which is basically mostly, not entirely, but mostly verses from the book of Romans written to one single church. And we get almost our entire plan of salvation from what was written to one church. Not a bad thing, necessarily. Interesting that it was just written to one people group. Or there's another uh, one out there that kind of started, I think, when I was a kid, Evangelism Explosion, a very organized plan for leading someone to the Lord and all that goes into that. And they've just created an entire training program out of that. Uh, you know, there's training for conversational evangelism, how to have, start with conversations and how to lead in with the gospel. Or, or maybe you grew up when you were a kid and you heard this all the time. Maybe you still do the ABCs of salvation and believe, uh, admit, believe, and confess. We, we come up with these methods, and they're not necessarily bad. I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad this morning. But I, I think we must recognize that that's what they are. They're methods. And just like what we did here 50 years ago at Eastside Baptist Church doesn't mean, in some respects, that we have to do that here in 2025 because methods change, because cultures change, people's changes. Truth doesn't change. We're not going to change that. But the way we get the truth out there can change. So nothing wrong with methods. But it's interesting, as you study these methods, as far as I know of, none of these methods I just named, and maybe you can find some yourself, but they're not really taken out of one passage of Scripture. They're kind of cherry-picked from the whole Bible narrative, and that, that's kind of how they got put together. Different, different excerpts from different places, written to different peoples at different times, put into a plan for you and I to gain instruction. This morning, this is what I love about this, um, in Luke chapter 10, we find in one passage some rich instruction from our Lord to a group of disciples on the subject of evangelism. And we're going to read it today. Keeping in mind, uh, I want you to be clear about this. 
success in soul winning or in witnessing is not in a plan or a method. That's, you just don't find that in the scriptures. Success in soul winning and witnessing is in a passionate, spirit-filled, consistent effort of obedience on our part so that God can do what only he does. See, witnessing and soul winning, that's, that's not up to us. Our part is the obedience and the labor. And Jesus here in this passage really lays this out for his disciples very, very clearly. And let's read it together in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes. And salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house, and into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come near unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh or near unto you. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable in that day, the day of judgment, for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable, tolerable sorry, for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Now Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. Would you go with me in prayer and ask the Lord to help us this morning? Father, we truly cannot uh, understand the implications of this passage without your help this morning. Lord, not just because there's some highly cultural things happening here, Father, but the very truth that you have can only be understood through spiritual eyes. Would you give us spiritual eyes today? Lord, if there's somebody in this auditorium that has never been brought back to life, Lord, they're still dead in their sins this morning. They may not know who you are. Maybe they do know who you are, but they've never bowed their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from their sins and ask you to forgive and save them. Father, may today be the day of salvation for them. Lord, for the rest of us, would you energize our passion? Would you ignite our hearts with a fervency to have you on our lips everywhere we go? Lord, that this might not be just part of our lives, but you might be our life. Lord, we need you to show this to us, Father. We, we cannot muster this up on our own. In your name I ask, amen. So as we're in Luke chapter 10, we want to remember the context. What, what do we find ourselves, sorry, wrong slip, <laughs> push the wrong button there. Remember, Jesus has been very vocal in the past months as we're going through the gospel narrative, very vocal about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, you are either a follower, according to Jesus, or you're not. You're either a believer or you're not. Uh, you have been saved, delivered by the grace of the Lord Jesus, or you're not. And that's and today. They look forward to the, to the cross of Christ. We look back on the cross of Christ. Jesus' message was so strong that at one point, the Bible says that there were many disciples that were following him, that after this message, they left. They decided, this is not what I signed up for. Too much for me. Now, where we're at today, it hasn't been too long since Jesus confronted three different people on the road. You remember that? And, and they said, we'll follow you. 
He went through those three scenarios, which after Jesus confronted each of their life situations, they didn't follow. Jesus brought the cost to their attention, and they were not interested. Then Jesus points out to those, the last couple weeks, those who are not in his sheepfold. They do not know him. They don't hear his voice. They don't follow him. They did not enter the fold through him. They came in some other way. Today, he takes another step. As he's gathering believers, we don't know exactly how large this group is, but as he's gathering believers uh, that will preach the message of the kingdom of God, we know he's already called, he's already appointed 12 apostles. Apostle means sent ones. And he's already engaged in that initial process of sending them out on the, on the first, first leg of that journey. And now, now they've come back and they're still training and he's getting ready to send them out again. But where we're at today, he has taken and appointed, the Bible says, another 70. So he's taken 70 from this pool of followers, however big it is, and he has appointed, he has decided that they will go out in the, into the surrounding areas and witness for him. Prepare the way for Jesus. And as we're looking at this, it's very obvious to me that this is a great time for us to understand that it's not just evangelism, witnessing for the Lord Jesus, is not just the responsibility of the 12. It's not just the responsibility of those that we would say are in leadership, the preachers and the pastors, those called into what we would say full-time ministry. And that's, by the way, that's our term. That's not the Lord's. All of us are to be ministers. But we've kind of created that in America because we're affluent and we can afford, uh, we can afford to pay pastors and some of them get paid very well. So we've kind of dichotomized that, that whole thing. But here we see that Jesus calls another 70, just regular followers. They're not apostles. They're not going to be um, necessarily the ones who are going to lead the early church in that sense. We don't, we don't hear their names anyways, but he sends them out. Jesus patterns for us the work, the work of ministering. It's not just for a few elites, but it's for every believer, every follower of Jesus. But let's be honest, this task can be at least we know in our country, can be a little discouraging, can be um, a little depressing sometimes when we don't see results like we think we should be seeing them or like we want to see them. And I think seeing results, physical results of that, having people actually getting saved, people's lives changing in front of us, I mean, I think all of us would love to see that, right? If you're a believer, you would love to see that, absolutely. So that's perfectly natural. Jesus here paints a little bit of a different picture, though, on what success is in our witnessing, and I hope you'll uh, go along with me on this. We know that in witnessing, the work, primary work, is not of us, and we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to remind ourselves that God gives an allowance to every human being to not just choose him, but also to reject him. And what a, what a horrible privilege he gives to each and every one of us, that we could reject our creator. We could reject the sinless savior, but he gives us that choice. We need to understand that and remind ourselves of that. The people that we go and witness to, they have that same choice to reject Jesus as we had to accept him, to receive him. At the same time, we need to understand that salvation is not the work of us. Salvation is the work of God. And so as passionate as we can become, and we should be passionate about this, ultimately there is no method, there is no magic set of words or uh, road or plan that we can follow through that is going to gain more traction than others. God just tells us to go out and to share his word. To share his word. He doesn't give us certain verses. If you say these verses in this order, it's going to result in somebody getting saved. If, if you magnify a certain aspect of the gospel, it's going to end up guilting somebody into salvation. I mean, that may happen, but there is no guarantees whatsoever on that in the scriptures that I've, that I've found. Salvation is the work of God. Witnessing is the work of obedience on our part. You know, we see the salvation work of God. God. God says that God must open their eyes to their need. 
Look here in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul refers to this. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. The verses previous to this talks about the fact that the lost world is blinded by the God of this world, so they cannot see the gospel. It's hidden to them. God must open their eyes to their need. You cannot be found if you don't think you're lost. God must draw us to himself. In John 6, 44, Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up the last day. He says in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. You say, well, I do. We seek God because he sought us. It is not our initial movement on any of this stuff. God does the work of salvation. We do the work of obeying, obeying the gospel, responding to God. These are the biblical mandates that we see. And we see that sinful humanity must call on him for themselves. We can't do this for them. We cannot even convince them to do this. They have to relinquish this in their own hearts. In Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The word preacher is a proclaimer, a herald. So in our text today, as Jesus prepares another 70 to go and represent him, he gives them a pattern. We see it richly throughout the text. First thing he tells them is go. Go. He tells us four or five different times he tells them this. First one is go and obey. If we look in verse number one, what does Jesus say? After these things, so after what has just happened, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. So Jesus had, of course, in the past trained 12 men to lead. We know them, even though one of them was a devil. He trained 12 men to lead. But now we see another group that Jesus has discipled. Jesus is also training. It's not just the elite, not just the 12 apostles, but he is bringing multitudes of disciples, as many as will follow him, up behind him. And now he is giving them a task. Oh, to be the one that Jesus would choose for a task like this. We don't have necessarily any reason to believe that there were only 70 followers here. It doesn't say that. He chose out of this group 70. I don't know what caused him to choose these 70. Um, but I could tell you this, and it's not because I'm a pastor, that I would like to be one of the ones that God would choose to give me a message, such an important message to carry to others. Would you not want to be one of the ones that God would choose? Would you not feel a little left out if you were not part of that 70? As in, why, well, why not me? But can we not, as human beings, get so used to our affluent lives in America that we're okay with just letting everybody else go off and do it? We've grown accustomed. Maybe at the beginning, it impacted you a little bit, but hey, we've got a pretty good life going on here. I mean, you got job security, got a good family, got a nice car. I mean, you got fun things to do on the weekend. I mean, I'll put in my church time, of course, but I'm okay with letting other people do it. I'm, letting, I'm okay with letting other people go out and witness and be all on fire and everything. Jesus said, go and obey. We see here in the first that God is the chooser and God is the sender. He chooses who? And he chooses to send. This is what he did. He chose them not to sit and listen. They'd done plenty of that, obviously, up to this point. But now he chooses and he sends them. And can you say, we don't see any kind of training programs, specific uh, Jesus Bible College courses or anything they took to train them or prepare them for this. We just see that they were followers of Jesus Christ. And can I say, if you know how you got saved, you know enough to talk to somebody else about salvation. You know that. You say, well, what if I miss a couple things? What if you do? Again, we've gotten so used to these programs that we feel like we have to have these programs. That's, that's not the case. Jesus never says that. Never one time have I seen in the Bible where God says, involve yourself in 
a soul winning education program so that you can be a soul winner. Or anything even like that. I'm, I mean, obviously that would be goofy if he said that exact thing <laughs> back then, but he doesn't even allude to that as far as I can tell. God is a chooser and he sins. We see this, of course, specifically with the 12 apostles in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me. Of course, it's his authority. In heaven and in earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, I'm pretty sure Jesus did not intend that those 12 men could actually go and teach all the nations of the world by themselves. I mean, right, we don't really think that. This was to be started here and passed down to every believer. So here we are 2,000 years later, and of course, all the nations have been reached by now, but probably not. Do we understand the call that we all have? The building of the kingdom of God. It's our call, too. It's ours. You, you cannot find, you may be looking for a spot that says specifically your name, you need to go and share, but I can guarantee this, you can't find a spot where it says you're not to. I can't find that spot either. That's something we just kind of allow to come into our comfortable minds. God's a chooser, God's a sender. God also sends us, sends them specifically two by two. That's interesting to me. God sends them two by two. Uh, what do you say there in, uh, here we are, verse number one. He pointed 70 also, and we're not going to go into 70 and why that may be, because honestly, he doesn't tell us why, but 70 is a biblical number, and it's used in several ways in the scriptures. Feel free to do that study and share it this Wednesday in your fellowship group. But he sends them two by two, so 35 pairs. Now, if you look at a map in where Jesus was here, if you sent 35 pairs of people, whether it was... It says to every city, so we don't know if it was one pair to each city or if there was multiple pairs going to a city, but even if you split them in half and it was only 17 cities, they covered a ton of ground. Jesus wanted this message to get out. And it wasn't just to one place. He wanted it everywhere. Everywhere at that time that was humanly possible. Remember, there's no cars, no airplanes, no helicopters. This was all on foot or on animal that they would do this. He sent them out. And the choice was go and obey. What am I going to do? Am I going to do what Jesus is telling me to do? Am I going to obey? He sends them out two by two. Interesting, why, if you ever ask yourself why two by two is the pattern in the Bible? Well, in biblical times, two by two gave validity to the message. This is way back in the Old Testament law. In Deuteronomy 19.15, Deuteronomy 19.15, one witness shall rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. This is over and over again in the Old Testament law. If you wanted to establish a matter, it needed to be minimum two. And even three was better. Minimum. Two gives validation to the message. And this carried all throughout Jewish culture and really is a principle. Two of us talking and agreeing on the same thing is much more impactful than just one of us, right? Jesus never tells us we don't go out by ourselves, but he sets the pattern as two. Yeah, there's maybe another reason. Um, this is a little more practical. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, written here, penned by the preacher, Solomon, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Verse 12, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We don't have to go too deep in that. He says two are much better than one, and three is even better. Because you're going to work together. It's highly likely, he's saying right here, that one at some point is going to fall. One is going to get discouraged. One's not going to know what to say. One is going to not be living for the Lord like he should. And there's going to be another person or maybe two other people right there to lift that person back up. Notice the understanding is that one will fall. And the understanding is if that one is by himself, it's definitely not as good as if somebody else has joined him. This is to be a joint effort. 
This is to be this. It's, it's not, and we're not talking about SOS once a month going out on Saturdays to share, share the gospel. That's great. That's great. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a collaborative effort within the body of Christ, within this, their local assembly, but here our local assembly, to go out and share the message of Jesus Christ, to do it together, to be so involved as a church in doing this that there are multiple people that we can do it with. And if we see somebody that's not holding this up, then we love them enough to say, hey, what's going on? Are you doing okay? We're building up the body of Christ. Why? Because we need to build up the body of Christ so that we can go out into this world and build the kingdom of God. It's difficult sometimes to do it on your own. Go and obey. Next thing he sees, uh, verse number two, go and pray. Go and pray. We have several points. I'm going to try to move fast on them this morning. Go and pray. Verse two, he says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. First thing we see is this endeavor takes work. It takes laborers. What did, what did he say? He did not say pray for a mighty moving of God. He said pray that God will send laborers, workers. Pray that God will do that. It's not a glamorous title. It's just someone that's getting the job done. They're spreading the gospel. It takes intention. It takes work. Absolutely every step of the way. Another thing you see right in here in this verse is he, he shows us that the need is very large. I mean, as we're going, we're praying. What are we, what are we praying about? Well, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send for us laborers. And he says, the harvest is great. And that's big. There's a big harvest. He, he gives an illustration here that would be very familiar to them back in those days. The idea of a large expanse of farmland ready to be harvested. The farmer does not have enough workers to harvest his crop. So what's going to happen to that crop if it doesn't get harvested? It's going to die. I mean, we see it. We see it here if you live near farmland in our area. Multiplied thousands of pounds of vegetables just get plowed under. Now, we're not going to go into why the government is telling them not to harvest their food. But regardless, this is a different issue here. Big crop doesn't get harvested. It's the same result. They'll die. The crops will die if they don't get harvested. Harvest here is also an allusion to judgment. We find that in the parables in Matthew chapter 13. Okay, but that's for a different study. Go and pray. It's interesting to me, did you look at what he's actually asking them to do? He says in verse 2, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. By the way, that's him. That's the guy talking. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. So pray to me that I would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now the, the Lord of the harvest is, is Jesus here because Jesus and God are one. Okay. He said pray to that Lord that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. By the way, you 70, you need to go. So as you're going, I want you to pray that God would send more laborers. Why is it? It almost sounds like that doesn't really make sense. The more and more I study prayer in the Bible, prayer has many fingers to it. It obviously moves the heart of God. But more and more I study prayer, I find that in so many ways, prayer is so much for our benefit more than it is for him. You know, when we take a, pet a petition or a care or a request to God, we're not enlightening him of something he didn't know. He already knew. So why does he want us to ask him? Why does he want them, when he just said the harvest is great and the laborers are few, why does he want them, as they are going, to pray to him that he would send forth more laborers in the harvest? Why does he want them to do that? Could it be that God wants them to be thinking that way? God wants their heart to be in tune to this going and this sending. That maybe they ought to consider that more than just this one time they're going to go. Maybe this is something that this needs to be a dedication point in their lives. 
get their hearts and their minds in tune for him. The harvest is great. So much need. God is sending me, and as I'm going, I'm praying, would you send more harvesters? And God begins to do a work in my heart. I need to do all I can. I need to be that sent one. I need to be the one that will go and to share. Thirdly, he says, go, filled with faith and focus. Filled with faith and focus. Look at number three. He says, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. Now, I will confess, as we are going through this, you're going to see some highly Jewish things in here. They're not all going to translate down to us into everyday life. We're going to look at the principle, what is driving them as best we can, and we may not get it exactly, okay? I did my best to study it, but I didn't live in these days. I'm not even Jewish now, and maybe you're not either, so maybe you can identify with me, but we can learn a lot from this. What, what is he saying here? Go your ways. Well, number one, he's still on the go track, right? He's still sending them out. Go. That's number one priority. Go. Don't be so concerned with having all your ducks in a row. Just go. And as you go, behold, understand, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. What a picture. Go with faith in the face of possible negative reactions. Lambs in the presence of wolves. He sends the lamb to the wolf. This is not a defensive posture. This is an offensive posture. But someone taking the offense that is clearly, clearly not prepared to take on what, what they're getting ready to encounter. Clearly not equipped. I mean, a lamb versus a wolf, there's, there's no, not even close. They're not even the same ballpark. But that's how I'm sending you. Humble, defenseless, but courageous and innocent. How would God send, I mean, if someone on this planet sent us to a task and we were so ill-equipped to be up against that task, you and I would think that was pretty unjust of them, pretty unfair of them. But that's what God says. You go in as somebody that there's no way you could ever defeat that person. Why would he do that? Because that's not our job. Our job is not to win the argument. Our job is not to put them in, in, uh, in light of their foolishness and to prove how wrong they are. We're to go with a message that is so valuable, that we are so undeserving of, and to go into a seemingly impossible situation with that wonderful message as a lamb. Here's the only thing I have to offer. It's this message. I'm certainly not on the same plane filled with you. I fully understand you could eat me up at any second. But I have a message. I have a message for you. Go filled with faith and focus. Why? Because our king has sent us. Go free from physical distraction. And when we're filled with this faith and focus, what... Boy, so many things can gather our focus in other areas, right? So many things can take our sights and our, our direction off and put us in, in different ways, in different places. He says, carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes. In other words, do not fear a seeming lack of physical amenities. Now, we can look at this and say, well, they're, they're not going on a long trip, so don't take anything with you, you're coming back. And maybe that's, practically speaking, could be part of it there, but I think the... I think it's bigger than that. Middle Eastern culture, that demanded hospitality. We pick and choose it in America. Middle Easterners, from what I'm telling, even today. But back there, you see this in the Old Testament record, New Testament record, that hospitality was required. I mean, if a stranger entered a city and they were not taken care of, it was a blight on that city. I mean, there was a reason when somebody did not, when the, the towns that Jesus went to did not receive him, they were not hospitable to him. That was a blight on that city. And they had to have some pretty heavy reasons to do that. Hospitality was a given. It demanded it. So this isn't a blanket principle that, that witnesses, we as witnesses will never provide for ourselves. That, that's not what he's saying there at all. It's saying we ignore the natural desire to prepare. Well, I'm going to go and witness, but I've got to have this, 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 and this. I mean, it can't be raining. 
It can't be during a work day. It, it can't be when my car's broken down. It can't, I mean, we have this list, right, of, of all of these things. If these things happen, then I'm not going to be able to witness that day. Jesus said, don't, don't worry about that stuff. Just go. Just go. Filled with faith. You're a lamb. I get it. You can't take what you're getting to go up against. That's okay. Just focus. Focus. You know, Paul exhorts Timothy in this, 2 Timothy 2, 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? So that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Any military person, I've never even been in the military, but I even know that a soldier has to be focused on the task at hand or he's no good. He's going to get picked off very easily. Going to accomplish very little for the cause that he is under. And we get so tangled up. We do. I'm, I'm talking to myself as well. Get so tangled up in things that are not necessarily evil. They're just affairs of this life. Part of living the life. I mean, why do you think Paul said, I wish that all of you out there were like me. I wish you were single so that you could dedicate your entire life to the cause of Christ. I wish you could do that. Now, obviously, he knew not everybody would do that. We'd have a very small congregation today if everybody was single, right? But he wished it for that reason. You'd be free from physical distractions, free from personal distractions. He says here, salute no man by the way. Again, hospitality, greeting people, was a long process, usually involved a meal. And he says, listen, I want you to go. Just get going. Okay, there's going to be times, and this is one of them, when I need you to move, and I need you to move quickly. That is really the New Testament model, that our Lord could come at any moment, and we are to move quickly. We are to have focus. We are to be very intentional about this. Do not let other things stop us from being a witness. Again, we have to get this idea out of our mind that we're talking about attending a Thursday night visitation program or a Saturday morning SOS. No, witnessing is 24-7. It is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, is on our lips, and we have multiple opportunities every week to do this. Matter of fact, I would say, and I'm not saying programs are wrong, but they can almost become a crutch to where, okay, I went to soul winning, now I'm done. Till the next time. Can it not be that way? And that is not what God called us to do at all. It is a life. Number four, he said, go without physical expectations. Verse number five, and I've got to move here. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And if the same house remain, in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And there's some highly Jewish things in that that we're not going to go into. Uh, son of peace, son of peace leaving, etc. That's for another study for another time. But I think it's obvious here that God sets the standard for what we're going to expect. And he says, as you're going out, do not have a bunch of expectations. Well, for me to witness effectively, I'm expecting the person to open the door and to um, talk very friendly to me, and maybe they even want to talk about church. Or maybe, maybe they've just been thinking about the gospel this whole time, and I show up on their door, and they ask me, how do I get saved? I mean, that's kind of what I'm expecting if I'm going to take it a little bit further. We have all of these expectations. We have all of these expectations. They had them too. And Jesus is saying, listen, if, if they'll let you in the house and they'll receive you, go ahead and stay. If they'll listen to what you're saying, go ahead and say. If they will feed you, which was common there, common hospi hosp hospitable move to make, if they'll feed you, take whatever they give you. Say, well, I don't like that kind of food, so I'm not gonna, no, it doesn't matter. He said, maybe if the first house you go to is not that nice of a house, but they receive you, don't wish that you could go to the next house because it's pretty nice over there. Hopefully they'll receive me on that side. Always looking for something better. Always looking for some ideal situation for us to witness to. I've been guilty of this, same as you. Jesus said, just go. Just go. Obey me and go. And when you go, go as a lamb in the, in the presence of a wolf. Go with faith. Go with confidence in who I am, not in who you are. Hey, if you can, get somebody to go with you 
Take somebody with you. Be involved in gathering others to this endeavor. And when you go, don't have a bunch of expectations. Go to that place. Go to that person. Go to that public meeting area. Go to that home. Go to that car. Go to that parking lot. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of places that you and I go already, even without determining to do so. And when you do, take every situation that comes your way. What a challenge. I mean, this is, is this not a challenge to us? It sure is to me. God sets the standard. God brings my path in line with somebody else's. I should have no reservations that that's not the path I would have taken. I should have no reservations that that's not the person I would have witnessed to. I should have no reservations as I just don't feel like it today. I'm having a rough one, Lord. So what will the Lord do? Well, we know his purposes are not going to be changed. So if you're not going to be used, if I'm not going to be used, what's he going to do? He's going to use somebody else. Is that what you want? You want to sit by and let the 70 go on? Not me. I hope you'll join me with that. This is kind of a side note here. He, he tells them to accept compensation when it's offered. You know, this is, this, the laborer is worthy of his hire is a gospel principle that's really only in line with those who are ministering the gospel. That's, that's the only time it's ever used in the scriptures. That's not what it means, but that's the only time it's used. He says, if, if I'm sending you out without anything, so you can trust that I'm going to take care of your needs, and when they do accept it, have no expectations. Don't, don't be all proud. No, 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 you're good. No, I've, I've got things going. No. He says, this is the way I have it. I have for you to take something precious to them, and I have for others to meet your needs. This is how I'm working things. Be humble enough as a lamb in the presence of wolves to accept the help of a wolf, <laughs> to accept the help of whoever I send your way, and accept it as what it is. Not charity. It's God-given help that you and I need. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about him. God, what do you want me to do? How can I get this message out? Number five, go and be personal. We're almost done here. Go and be personal. I, I mean, two more points, as in go, almost done. Verse number eight, and into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein. Say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh or near unto you. Notice the priority list here. I think this is worth noting. Notice the priority list that is set out here by the Lord. Number one, personal time. He says, in whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. This is not eating in a corner. They would eat a meal together. They would sit down, fellowship together. Uh, they, you know, it wasn't like stopping at Chick-fil-A, getting something in their cars and heading off somewhere else. This was a meal in somebody's home. They're spending personal time with that person. Number two, they're meeting the personal needs of that person that you're aware of. He says, if you, if you see sick people, heal them. Now, this was specifically uh, a, a power and a privilege given for this time period. Okay, we believe that has ended now, uh, biblically speaking. But he says, meet those needs. Here's a larger principle here. And he says, thirdly, share the message. So we can't ignore either side of that. It's not what you and I, if you're a certain personality, and this is my personality, if you're a certain personality, you want to go, you want to just lay it all out there, share the message, just drop the bomb and walk away. I did my duty. I'm good. No, he said so much more than that. He said, I want you to go in there and I want you to be hospitable. I want you to spend time with them. If you see some needs, try and meet those needs. These, these people had the power to heal. You don't, but they did. Meet some needs. Bring some healing to that situation. And by the way, he says, don't forget to tell them the message that you brought. Do not forget that. If you see that, that's the pattern of our Lord everywhere he went in the Gospels. The time with them, the hard work that is involved in meeting their needs first, but not only. Lastly, we leave the results in God's hands. Jesus gave instructions here for when his witnesses would encounter someone or even a whole city that rejected them. He does not leave that out. He says, 
In verse 10, but into whatsoever city ye enter and they receive you not. What does he say? Just stay evangelizing them until they finally give in. He says, go your way. Go your ways out into the streets of the same and say. And he begins to go through some highly cultural things of shaking the dust off of, of your feet. Um, but here's the message. You go to a place, you spend the time, you try to meet the needs as best you can, you share the message of the gospel, and they don't receive it. You've done what God asked you to do. God says, at this time, now your next step is to go. How long that happens between the first step and the second step of going, I don't know. I think sometimes we try to figure this out a little bit too much. We, even though we would never say this, we allow the work to be something we can kind of be cunning and, and uh, really tricky about and to make this happen and to make this work. God is the one that has to be working behind the scenes. He has to be. It cannot be the fluency of our words. It cannot be the, the trickiness of our presentation. It, it cannot be the high-powered nature of our personalities. It has to be God working. And that work happens all the time, not just in a, a weekly or a monthly program, not just in one, kind of seg one time segment of your life. It has to be working all the time. And that's what God is doing. That's what God is doing. Maybe, maybe this has been like, like I've been in the, in the past. I've been guilty of, I want to be the 70, but I want to be the 70 when I want to be the 70. Like, give me some time off, right? Let me just pick a few time slots when I can be part of the 70, when I can be that witness. I know I need to be and I want to be, but I don't want to be it all the time. I mean, maybe that's just me. He says, your responsibility is complete even if they won't listen. He says, go out into the street, say, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Oh, do not lose sight that he says, even if you are up front with them and you say, if you will not receive this message, we're shaking the dust off. I don't know exactly what that means. It's some sort of symbol. We see it in Acts chapter 13 on the screen behind me. The Jews stirred up devout and honorable women, the chief men of the city, and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas, expelled them out of their coast. What did they do? But Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. They went somewhere else. We see Paul here uh, shaking his clothing in Acts chapter 18. Okay, in verse 6, they're right in the middle. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he, Paul, shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. He left. He didn't stay and had a big argument with them. There's obviously a place for convincing and persuading, but Jesus very clearly lays out to them, if they will not receive you, if they will not listen to your message, you do not have to stay there. I have plenty of work for you to do. I have plenty of people for you to talk to. Plenty that will Plenty that I have chosen, I'm going to send them to you. You and I don't know who they are, but he does. Leave the results in God's hands. And God here takes full responsibility as we close this morning. Verse 12, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. And he goes on to talk about Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, how all of these cities had been done great and mighty works, and they had not repented. He says, if, if these other Tyre and Sidon, if Sodom had had the works done in them that, that I've done in you, they would have repented long ago. What a privilege we've had. He says in verse 16, He that heareth you heareth me. He that despiseth you despiseth me. And he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Jesus takes full responsibility for the rejection. He says, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Your job is not to be the friendliest one on the block. Your job is not to be the popular one or to make Christianity cool and relevant. Your job is to send out the message. 
to carry that message yourself. To be part of that 70, to be part of my followers. And to go, and if people will listen, great. If they won't, that's okay. You can move on to the next one. I take that on myself. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Go. The go command never, ever stops for you and I. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me this morning? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Are you obedient in going? We, we, we must not forget that success comes not in programs or slick uh, methods. Success comes in effort. Comes in spirit-filled, passionate, consistent effort of you and I going out and laboring for the Lord. Being faithful as a witness of His. Are we going? Are we obedient? Are we praying as we go? Are we focused? Are we filled with faith? Are we pretty much already thinking that they're going to turn us down when we get there? Is the reception, do we have expectations? We have expectations on the type of person that we'll witness to, the type of place we'll go to. Are we personally investing ourselves, inserting ourselves in the lives of this lost world? You say, well, they might reject me. Jesus said, that's okay. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They'll be judged for it. That's not our job to determine who will reject and who will not. It's our job to take the message, to spend time with those people, to minister to them. And by the way, don't forget the message. The results are God's. The obedience is ours. Would you go to the Lord in prayer and this morning as Christians are praying? If, if you have never been saved this morning, if you've never bowed your heart and mind to the Lord Jesus Christ, as soon as we stand, I'm going to invite you to dismiss yourself from your aisle and head right to the back. We have altar workers back there who would love to show you from the scriptures how you can know this Lord we're talking about. You came here today for a reason. You might not have even known what the reason was. Maybe the next step for you is to step out and get some of those questions answered. We'd love to help you with that. Let's all stand together, if you would, every head bowed and every eye closed. As we begin this invitation time, Pastor Bill's going to come and lead our invitation. I invite you. Now, don't wait. If you need to be saved, head right out of your aisle and head right to the back. Christians are praying.